Good morning, everybody. Hope I'm finding you in the middle of a fantastic day. Today is Monday, and it's a little late, I realize, in the day uh, for this to go live. We've had some technical difficulties today, so hope you bear with me this morning. But this morning, we are shifting from the mythical creatures, and we're starting a brand new series this morning. We're going to survey the Bible. Now, if you're looking to uh, deepen your knowledge about God's Word, that's what we're going to do. We're going to take one book a week, and we're going to survey it, get to know it a little better, dive in maybe a little deeper than you normally would through the average course of a Bible study, and hopefully it'll be good for you. Hopefully it'll be fun for you to listen to. The author of the book of Genesis is Moses. The book of Genesis is where we're starting this week, obviously. And Moses, being the author, wrote not just Genesis, but the first five books of the Bible, which you'll see. Those five books are referred to as the Pentateuch. The word Pentateuch means five rolls. That's what they were written on, was like an animal skin type scroll, uh, when they were found and translated. Uh, the Pentateuch is also called the Torah by the Hebrews. It's also known as the laws of the books, or the books of the law, I'm sorry, or the books of Moses. Christ testified of Moses' writings in Mark 12, 26. Also in Luke 24, 44, John 5, 46 through 47, and John 7, 19. So we know of the credibility of Moses' writings based on what Jesus himself said in the Gospels. The date of this book is 1445 to about 1400 BC was when this book was likely written. And it was likely written during the exodus in the wilderness. So while the children of Israel are wandering in the wilderness and dealing with the struggles that they're dealing with, what Moses is doing during the day is he is writing as the Holy Spirit inspires him, the book of Genesis. And probably a good chunk of the book of Exodus. And so Genesis most likely be written during that time period. A uh, quick outline of the book of Genesis for you. Uh, number one is a primeval history. Uh, chapters 1 through 11. If you've never read the book, The Unfolding Drama of Redemption, I recommend you take that uh, book, take a look at that book, rather. It's, uh, it's a great book about uh, the Bible, and it sort of puts it in a different perspective, makes you look at it kind of like a story, like, a, like the whole world is one big storyline. And if that's the case, Genesis 1 through 11, he refers to in that book as the epilogue. That's the before story of the story that takes place once you embark on, on number two, the patriarchal history, which is the second half of the book of Genesis. So it breaks up really nicely into two sections. Uh, verses 1 through 11 deal with the entire world, uh, specifically in four outstanding events. The first is creation. Uh, creation is that divine sovereignty in the physical world being created. And there's a lot of really great stuff to dive in in creation there. Uh, creation is not just Genesis chapter 1, it's also Genesis chapter 2 where he goes into more detail about creating the first man and the first woman. We have the fall, which is the second outstanding event in the first half of the book of Genesis. That's Genesis chapter 3. 
Uh, you might throw Genesis 4 in there as well with Cain and Abel. That's really where humanity really takes off. It shows all the different generations in, in Genesis chapter 4. The generations of Cain versus the generations of Seth and the contrast there. Uh, and then you have the books of the flood, which are the next several chapters uh, leading up to the Tower of Babel and the Babel crisis. And uh, we see the divine sovereignty and uh, radical distribution. Uh, all the languages are created there, people speaking in different languages and different tongues. So according to the Bible, there was one universal language. And we lost that in the Tower of Babel. Tremendous story. Uh, there's some speculation on what that original language might have sounded like uh, based on what our languages are based off of today. And so, very interesting study there. But these are the four outstanding events uh, that take place in Genesis 1 through 11, which we consider to be the first of the two parts of this book. Uh, the second part is the, uh, the major chunk of the book of Genesis, the largest portion of it, is four outstanding persons. It's gone from major world events, and now we're narrowing in on one family. It's almost like if you were to be reading an epilogue or you know the getting the before of when a play goes to get started there's a scene setting right well this is the world we live in and this is what's going on around us and then when the play starts it narrows in on your characters right well that's kind of what's happening here with Abraham we zero in on Abraham and his family and the rest of the story is about his family becoming a nation and that nation and that is really the story of the Old Testament so we see the first of the outstanding people, obviously, is Abraham, uh, divine sovereignty and election. Abraham is elected to be uh, the head of God's chosen people. And then we obviously we have the same thing in Isaac and Jacob, who are all also considered patriarchs. And we are going through a patriarch series on our Wednesday Bible studies. So if you want to dive a little deeper into these people's lives, be sure to check those out. Uh, we're going through the life of Jacob right now. But then you have the life of Joseph. Now, Joseph, let me go ahead and tell you, is not technically considered a patriarch. Uh, he is considered uh, one of Jacob's children, even though he does not have his own tribe in Israel. All the other children of Jacob have their own tribe named after them, but not Joseph. That is because Joseph's two children, Ephraim and Manasseh, have tribes named after them instead of Joseph. And you can read more about that in the latter part of Genesis and the stories where he blesses those children just before he passes away. A few key words for the book of Genesis is, number one, the word beginning. Uh, Genesis is referred to as the book of beginnings. The word Genesis means beginnings. And so, as a matter of fact, the theme of the book of Genesis is beginnings. Uh, this is, of course, the beginnings of the writings of the revelation of God, the whole Bible. The beginnings of the writings of the patriarchs. It's the foundation on which the divine revelation stands. It's where everything gets its start. This is the start of the river of knowledge and truth. And the headwaters, it flows all the way down into the book of Revelation. And so you can follow these truths from Genesis all the way down to Revelation, and they unfold in incredible ways in that way. So beginnings is one of our key words. Uh, 
Another key word is these are the generations of. You see that a lot throughout Genesis. You see it for Abraham. These are the generations of Abraham, and then a story begins to uh, unfold beyond that. These are the generations of Cain, and the story of his uh, children and his their genealogy, sort of. These are the generations of Seth, and so forth and so on. The key verse is Gen uh, Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And I've heard uh, my Bible college professors say this about Genesis 1-1, if you can get past the first verse of the whole Bible, you can believe everything else that follows. If you can believe that there is a being so powerful in this universe that he created all of existence by just the power of his words, he spoke everything into existence, if you can believe that, you can believe anything else that follows. You say, man, it's hard to believe that you know the whole universe is created in six days. Well, if you can believe Genesis 1-1, is the six-day creation really so hard to believe? You know, you say, man, it's really hard to believe that an ocean parted. You know, the whole Red Sea parted. Well, if you can believe Genesis 1-1, is that really so hard to believe? Genesis 1-1 is the key of the book of Genesis, but it's also kind of the key to the whole Bible. It's where the Christian story really starts. You see, it doesn't start in Matthew. It starts in Genesis. This is where the Christian story starts. Uh, so it's very important, uh, you know, there's a lot of difficulty with those people who say, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a New Testament Christian. I don't, uh, I believe the Old Testament is done away with. We don't have any need for the Old Testament anymore. And yes, there's a lot of people out there who believe that way. But the trouble with that is a lot of good things started in the Old Testament. An old preacher used to say breathing started in the Old Testament. You know, there's, there's a lot of good things in the Old Testament that got their start from there. And really, this is where... Christianity gets its origins because this is where the whole planet gets its origins. Our first promise of Jesus is in Genesis chapter 3. As soon as sin is introduced, so is the hope of salvation. And so you can't do away with the book of Genesis because it also gives us the genealogy of Christ. It tells us where he came from. It tells us the struggles of Satan trying to destroy the bloodline of Jesus and that bloodline enduring until the time that Christ is able to come to us. So you can't do away with the Old Testament. There's so much of uh, incredible importance here. We see some special features uh, in this book of Genesis. Number one we've talked about is creation. Uh, another one uh, is the phrase uh, proto-evangelium. Evangelium. I'm pretty sure I said that wrong. Proto-evangelium. I apologize, <laughs> but that's Genesis 3.15 we mentioned before, the very first promise of uh, salvation from our sins. Uh, another special feature is the flood. That's chapters 6 through 9 deal specifically with the flood. Chapter 10 is a bit of genealogy before you get to chapter 11, which is the Tower of Babel. Uh, but chapters 6 through 9 deal specifically with God uh, flooding the entire planet. And can I just say, I think it's so funny that people you know, put Noah's Ark stuff in like nurseries and cutesy little uh, family-friendly areas when if you really understand what the flood is, it's the single most cataclysmic and disastrous event that the world has ever known. You know, take all the most horrific events the world has ever known. You take, you know, uh, people being killed in all these natural disasters. You know, people being killed in floods and in tsunamis, people being killed in earthquakes and fires and all these things. 
all but eight people, the entire population of the human race was killed in a flood. They all either drowned to death or were crushed by the water or smashed against something and killed. This was a horrible day in human history. And we paint it on the walls like a mural for our babies to look at, you know. It's, it's just so funny to me. Um, people really don't understand just how horrific this day was. Uh, and then the fourth special feature is uh, the introduction of the Hebrew race. And I do want to go over real quick, as far as creation and the special features goes, uh, each day. Because day one, we say God created light, right? Well, there's more than just light created. God created light and darkness, which is the absence of light on day one. And before God created it, there wasn't even darkness. You'd say darkness is just nothingness. Well, no, darkness is darkness. It is a something. There wasn't even darkness back then. You, our brains can't even comprehend a world without darkness. We can't even imagine what that would look like. It doesn't look like anything. Uh, it doesn't exist, which is an insane thing to think about. Uh, our brains can't comprehend that. The day two was the, the what they call the firmament. The firmament is actually the space between the uh, vapor canopy, the water sack, uh, whatever you believe that layer of water was over the earth that caused the flood. That's where that water came from. Day three was land, seas, and plant life. Day four is the sun, the moon, and the stars. Uh, day five is the fish and the fowl. And day six is man and all the other animals, all the other land creatures, from the crawling bug to the massive... Uh, creatures such as the uh, elephants and the hippos. And then our final segment for today is going to be Christ in the book. This is where we see Jesus sort of pictured throughout the scriptures. Uh, first in the book of Genesis is Adam. Adam is a type of Christ. Uh, the book of Romans refers to uh, Jesus as the last Adam, because Adam got us into this mess and Jesus got us out of it. The first Adam and the last Adam. Uh, second is Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark is a picture of Christ. He's a type That's a type of Christ where you would say people who believe that they're saved by baptism is like, oh, Jesus is the water, and we go into the water because Jesus saves us and washes away our sins. Well, no, the water is a representation of God's wrath, not his salvation. And so I know I'm going a little long today, but these are going to be kind of longer episodes. If this isn't your thing, feel free to check out. But uh, hopefully it'll really help you get to know these books a little better. So Noah's Ark is a type of Christ. Uh, we see thirdly Melchizedek. If you don't know who that is, uh, in the story of the life of Abraham, Melchizedek is a type of Christ in that he uh, is a priest and a king. And we know that Jesus is referred to as holding all three offices, prophet, priest, and king. Now, there have been people who have held two of those offices, but nobody's ever supposed to hold all three of those offices. And the lines there become increasingly more rigid as the Old Testament goes on and more structure is given. But Jesus is supposed to be the only one that holds all three offices, prophet, priest, and king. Even Saul, you can see, prophesied. He was a prophet for certain periods of time, and then also he was king. But when he overstepped his boundaries and performed priestly duties was where he overstepped because only Christ is supposed to do all three of those things. 
So Melchizedek is a type of Christ in that way. Uh, fourthly, Isaac. Isaac is a type of Christ as well. Uh, in that uh, Genesis 22, Mount Moriah, they're going up and he's the sacrifice. Uh, he's, Abraham's been asked to sacrifice his only begotten son. Does that phrase sound familiar to anybody? Uh, and so Isaac is also a type of Christ. And then finally, Joseph, of course, is the greatest type of Christ uh, in that uh, he's thrown in a pit. He's rejected by his own, his own brothers, like Jesus was rejected by the Jews. Uh, he's uh, thrown into slavery and uh, thrown into prison, and he's humiliated, and he's, he's uh, treated very poorly, just like Jesus was treated very poorly and rejected by people here on the earth, humbled himself and became a man and that sort of a thing. And uh, then we see he's made second in command over all of Egypt. And when you look at the hierarchy over the uh, Trinity, it's God the Father is number one. And just under him, second under God the Father is God the Son, Jesus Christ. And so just like Joseph, he's second in command over all of heaven. Just like Joseph was second in command over all of Egypt. And uh, is able to uh, save and put back uh, food so he can save a whole lot of people from the famine that is to come and Jesus came and as second in command under God the Father is able to save uh, each of us that come to him just like those who would or would not choose to come to Joseph are able to save us from the wrath to come and God's wrath toward our sins so that's the book of Genesis for today I hope you guys enjoyed it and we will see you next week